Good morning, everybody. So glad to see your faces today. Um, before I begin out of our book of Nehemiah, I just wanted to take a second and just invite you to celebrate with me uh, something that happened long ago, but it feels like it just happened recently. Um, this week marks an important milestone in, in my life story. And I would say before that day, or even that moment, um, I was really wandering. Uh, I was in the prime of my, my physical life, but I was really wandering a lot in my mind, a lot of worldly wisdom. Uh, you know, I was certainly, you know, educated at some point and uh, just took on a lot of worldly uh, uh, wisdom. And I found myself thinking I'm too smart for God. I really am. But there was another part of me that was very prideful. I was really driven a lot of my own pride. Um, my life, my, my life energy was all about myself and glorifying myself. And I used people in, in many ways and often even was a, abusive and, and vulgar and destructive. And, uh, you know, I did it all from, from substances to relationships and I just sampled it all. And I thought myself at some level, I'm probably just too cool, uh, you know, for like Jesus and that church religious -y stuff. But really, actually, what was going on is I found that I was actually scared. Could God, if he was able to forgive, could he have enough grace for a guy like me? Because I was such a wreck. And then uh, it happened. You know, it was, it was one day in a moment. Friends have been praying quite a bit uh, for this moment. But I found myself um, just confronted with the very presence of God. And it was, it was to be honest, terrifying because it was so, such a great love that was for me, but at the same time, I just felt so ashamed of who I am. And it was in that moment of this, this confrontation of, with like the, the, the Spirit of God right in front of me that I, I just buckled to my knees, and I just lifted up my hands, and I prayed something like, God, you know every one of my wicked, wicked, wicked thoughts and everything that I've done. And if you have enough grace for that, if there's enough blood on the cross to wash away that, then, then by faith, I, I accept it. I receive it. I believe it. Amen. And it just came over me, this sense of peace, and again, that love, and it just washed over me. And in that same moment, I was overwhelmed with gratitude and thanksgiving, and I just continued the prayer and said something like, and, and Lord, I, if you want to take any scraps of this junk pile and use them for your own glory to tell your story to others, then, then here I am. I surrender. I mean, you only put my hands up like surrender. I surrender to you, God, and, and you can take whatever you want of me and, and use it. I, I give up living for myself. I, I give myself over to you. And, and that moment uh, that changed me. It reminds me of what the scriptures promise that it says in Ephesians uh, 1, 20, uh, 1, 7. It says, in, in Christ Jesus... We have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses 
according to the riches of his grace that he has lavished on us. Isn't that beautiful? According to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. I say that to you because maybe you're here this morning and, and you think like I did. Maybe, hey, I'm too cool for this or, or maybe I'm smarter than this or I figured out a way to kind of cheat the system. But God wants all of you and he forgives all of you. And there is enough blood on the cross to cover a multitude of sin. And if you're ever here at a place where you are having that confrontation with God's spirit, I would love to help you walk through that moment as God has walked me so lovingly. Let me pray as we begin. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to especially those who are at a place of mourning and even in pride and just wondering, God, is there enough love? Is there enough grace for me? And there is. There's enough blood on the cross for all us all. And we thank you for that. I ask you to continue to tell your story through us and in us and around us in a world that so desperately needs to hear a message of salvation and transformation by your grace and in your spirit. I pray humbly and proudly in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're continuing our series out of Nehemiah talking about uh, biblical lessons for rebuilders. We've been walking through the book of Nehemiah all summer long, and it's been really a great book. It's challenging to preach through because it's such a great Old Testament story, but it really is about renewal and restoration. And we've been hoping that this has been impacting to you personally. Maybe you're at a place of, hey, I really want to rebuild in my personal faith walk. Uh, this is certainly speaking to us as a church. You know, how do we, emerging from this season of COVID, which I know has kind of had another backlash on us, how do we continue to press forward in, in mission together? And, and maybe there's even relevance for us as the capital C church, the big church in culture. Like, how do we continue to represent the great story, the gospel, the good news in, in, a, in a fresh new world? And so we're always rebuilding and responding, and we hope that this story has been invigorating to you as it has been encouraging to us as pastors, this morning, we're going to look at chapter 11. We're going to look at chapter 11. It's not bankrupt. It's really good. It's got a lot of good stuff in it. And it's talking about uh, repopulating, repopulating the city of God, which has been recently rebuilt. Um, but before we get to Nehemiah chapter 11, I have a reading to you. And, and this is the reading that's going to set up where I see this text leading us. And so it's uh, classic text, Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you'd like to please stand with me for another moment. What I'd love for us to do is read this together out loud. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, and it says this together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away and when you lie down, and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your foreheads, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you. This is the great commandment. And it's not just here. It's, it's a really you know, important moment uh, in Scripture that is continued to be echoed out throughout the story. In fact, Jesus Call, invites people to reflect on the great commandment. That never gets taken away. That's a commandment. 
And for any of you who, you know, maybe have an idea what commandment means, um, you know, I'm a dad, and so I issue a fair amount of commandments. You know, it's not as, you know, big and vital as that, but they sometimes feel like it. And here's what I know about commandments, both when I give them and when I receive them. There really is only two choices with a commandment. We can obey or we can choose not to obey. There really is not third option. We can either obey God's command, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, or we can disobey. Now, sometimes we might want to rewrite, like, okay, well, let me maybe clarify what some of that might mean to me. That's actually disobedience because we're adding things to it. And so really, when it comes to a commandment, there's really a choice, obey or disobey. But this commandment undergirds, supports the entire story, especially in the Old Testament, but continuing into the New, because Jesus picks up on this as well. The people of Israel are constantly challenged to be the covenant people of God and to respond to this command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let these words today be on your heart. Talk about them everywhere with your kids, at home, when you're on vacation, when you get up in the morning, when you write them on your hands so that you always see them, put them in an emblem on your forehead so that other people see them in you. Write them on the doorpost of your house so when you come in and out, you always are reminded to love the Lord your God. So throughout the story, the people have to respond. Will they or won't they? Now, where we are in Scripture in this story of Nehemiah is they, they haven't been. That's why they were scattered in the first place. They, they weren't really living out this commandment to love the Lord of God, so they got taken over and removed and kicked out, and they were scattered all over the place. And now, at the beginning of Nehemiah, there's been this coming back home moment, like a homecoming. They're starting to come back together as the covenant people of God and again are confronted with that question, will they obey that great commandment? So in Nehemiah chapter 11, Nehemiah has been a guy who's been on a journey. He's been trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem to set up a sacred space. It's just, just like this church has walls. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, the windows are open today, which is great, but we have walls. We have boundaries. And so they too have boundaries, and they're saying, okay, we're going to set up this, reset up this sacred space so that once again, we can gather back as a people and worship God in spirit and in truth. And as we get down to the back of the book, the walls have been built. Uh, we'll see that the, the city is ready, but there's nobody in it. It's kind of like if we, in the morning before everyone gets here. And, you know, it's just a couple of us that come into the building. We turn on the lights. We turn on the sound systems and stuff. We're here, but nobody else is here. It's kind of interesting moments. You know, it's like, well, who's going to show up today? That's where they are in Nehemiah chapter 11. The city's ready, but there's nobody there. So what Nehemiah is going to do, he's going to send in leaders, and he's going to send a tithe a tithe of people to help reestablish um, the, uh, the city of Jerusalem. So long story, I want to get to this. This text is going to beg us to ask ourselves, how do we invest ourselves fresh into rebuilding God's kingdom in our lives, in our community? How do we invest ourselves fresh? How is God calling us to make a fresh investment to reestablish his kingdom here in the space that he has given us as a church? That's a question the Holy Spirit's going to have to answer for each one of us. And so let me pray for his work in your life. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the fresh wind that's coming in gently through the windows. Lord, I pray that you too, by your spirit, would kind of gently come in. 
And let us have those moments that are continuing. It wasn't just the, the one time that I met you, Holy Spirit. You've continued to reveal yourself in my heart since that great day. And I pray, Lord, today would be one of those days where you'd continue to show me and my friends who are gathered here before your word how you are calling us to make a fresh investment in your kingdom in our lives and together as a church. Answer that question, we pray, to each one of us and collectively. In your name, Jesus, amen. So Nehemiah chapter 11 actually picks up from a problem in Nehemiah chapter 7. So it skipped over a couple of parts here, but in Nehemiah chapter 7, it says the city's been built, and Nehemiah kind of observes, like the, the wall had been built, and the doors have, been on the, the, have already been put on, and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were all there. But in verse 4, he's like, the city was wide and large, but the people in it were so few and no houses had been built yet. So again, he's got reestablished this, this city. It looks great. The door is ready. It's kind of like you got this open house and nobody's there yet. We can't have community without people. And so that's where Nehemiah 11 picks up. How did they repopulate the city? So you flash forward a couple of pages. It's Nehemiah 11, and the introduction is this. Okay, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. So they got called, those who were, who were known for leadership in the nation of Israel, they were called in, and they were the first to kind of establish their homes there in Jerusalem. And out of the rest of the people, they cast lots. You know, like by choice, you put straws and somebody gets the short straw. And so they cast lots to bring one out of every 10 to live in the holy city of Jerusalem. One out of every 10. By casting lots. You know, there's a few moments in scripture where they do this. And you might think that's a little chancy, right? Like, what does that mean to cast lots? It just means that they were really asking God for his will and direction. It wasn't a bad decision. Everyone really could have come and live in there. But the problem is you'd have to leave your home. Okay, that's a problem. Hey, we need people to live in the basement of the church. We need at least 10% of you. So we're going to cast lots, and some of you are going to have to leave your homes and go live in the basement. It was nicer than the basement. But so instead, they cast lots because it was, everyone was being called to do it. They just needed to portion it out. So let's start with 10%. They cast lots. God direct us through that, and that's what happened. One out of every 10 came and gathered. This, this is like a tithe, Okay. Now, it says in the scripture there that uh, all the people blessed those who willingly offered to go live in Jerusalem. And, and again, they willingly did it by being called as leaders. They willingly did it by pulling the short straw and, okay, I will go live. So people are like, hey, good job. Have fun. You're going to do it. And so then they uh, start to repopulate. And then it that goes on, and this kind of fills in what the rest of the chapter is about. It says, these are the leaders then. He's going to start giving us a list of leaders of the providence who lived in Jerusalem and in the towns of Judah, all the others lived on the property of their own towns, in Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, the descendants of Solomon's servants. So he's now, for the rest of the chapter, going to give us another list. Oh, we love the lists, don't we? So great when he gives us lists. No, he's going to give us a list of the leaders that came to live in Jerusalem. So there were those who were called because they were leaders, there were those who were elected by Lot, and then there were those who got to live in their homes and celebrate. Okay, so when I look at this, you wonder, well, what is it about the leaders that they had to go do it? Because leaders got to lead. They were given the gift of leadership, and so guess what? Pack up your stuff. We need to reestablish the city. They're going to go and lead, because leaders got to lead. But what about this tenth, 10% of the people? That's a tithe. 
Are you familiar with that word? T-I-T-H-E, tithe. It's, it's, a, it's a tricky word in churches. We sometimes talk, some churches talk about it too much. Some churches never talk about it, but it's a tithe. And that's a designated 10%. Now, normally when we think of tithing, we think of money, right? We think of money. We don't think of a tithe of people, but this is really a tithe of people, 10% of the people. What a tithe is, if we can even separate for a second the idea of what it means about money or economics, a tithe is really a first fruits, first fruits, meaning the best or fresh, freshest crop, okay? The first fruits investment of any and all resources, not just financial. A tithe is a first fruits investment or offering of any and all resources that God has given us stewardship over, okay? It's a first fruits offering or investment of any and all resources, and in this case, people, that God has given us stewardship over. And we invest it, or we make that offering, as we just did a moment ago, as an act of worship, which is strategically why that happens in that moment when we do it, coming out of worship, coming out of prayer. There's a sequence to that, because tithing or offering is part of an act of worship. It's part of an act of worship. And thanksgiving, which Lars mentioned when he prayed over it. What we're doing is we're saying, Lord, I'm giving thanks to you and praise, and I'm investing here, and I want you to take those offerings collectively and use them to continue to further your kingdom. In our house, we've actually had a lot of conversations this summer about tithing and offerings and giving thanks to God with our first fruits, because this is the summer that a lot of our kids got jobs. If you go to the Willowbrook Chick-fil-A, you see a handsome young man with curly hair. That's my son, Reuben. He's there many times. Ooh, Chick-fil-A, closed today. Ugh. Doesn't it always sound good on Sunday? Got uh, Milo. He's at the Western Springs Pool, welcoming friends. Been doing a lot of hours there. My uh, daughter, third daughter, or third child, Sabrina, she's been doing dog sitting, dog walking. She's got a little thriving enterprise on that. She's doing a great job. And that's one of the, the ways that she can use her passion of cuddling furry animals, and she's turned it into a business, which is great. She's actually doing really well with that. And then a little while ago, my youngest, Harvey, 10-year-old, came up to me in kind of a baby, you know, baby of the family way. He's like, everyone else is making money this summer. What can I do? Well, I was about to spray out our garbage cans, you know, because I don't like them when they smell. I'm like, well, you could help me with this. I'll maybe pay a couple bucks for that. We looked online to see what it costs to get your garbage cans cleaned out. And it turns out it's about 20 bucks a can. You know, they come with a truck and they do all this stuff. Like, we don't have a truck. We have a hose and a scrubber. So I said, I tell you what, why don't we scrub these out? I'll teach you the ancient art of scrubbing out the garbage cans, right? And then we'll print a little flyer. He's like, this sounds fun. It was great. So he, you know, did a great job with our garbage cans. We printed a little flyer. He went and knocked on neighbors' doors, and he got quite a few neighbors to hire him after garbage pickup day to come over and clean their garbage cans. So we have been talking a lot with all this kind of money earning this summer about tithing, what it means to say, hey, thank you, God, with the first fruits of those offerings, because we want God to be blessed, and we want to bless, uh, we want him to bless the rest as well. Okay, so, but the thing about tithing is we can't just think about it when it comes to money. We can't just think about it when it comes to the budget, because that's not the only measurement of health in a church. So God gives us stewardship of other things. He gives us stewardship of our time. He gives us stewardship of our spiritual gifts, our talents, Maybe you've heard that sequence before, time, you know, uh, treasure and talent. And God wants us to make investments with those fruits as well, 
to designate the first fruit of maybe our prayers or our gift of hospitality, as much as we might give of offering up the top of the dollars that we might make. Now, I've had to grow in this because remember, I, I came to faith as an adult and then I started attending church and I was sitting there and they started talking about offerings and what that meant. And I was like, oh, wait, that's what that plate's for? Okay, well, that seems weird. You want my money? No, it's, it's all God's. And so I had to kind of grow in that and start making first offerings. But then I was like, well, I guess I should start really serving at the church. I, I like this church a lot and they're taking care of me. And so I started investing some time and serving in some ministries. Long story short, I'm now full-time, full-out uh, here, here in the church working. This is, this is my life. Back to Nehemiah real quick. So Nehemiah chapter 11, again, they've established the leaders. Remember, that's the leaders are leading, and they're living in Jerusalem, and then they've got a tithe, the 10% people, to come into the city. But that's not it. They're just like, okay, we're content with that. The idea of this first 10% was to establish it. Kind of like you do with lawn seed. You're trying to establish the lawn, right? And then, but you want it to grow more fruitful than that. So this was just the beginning. The leaders and the tithe of people, 10%, was just the very beginning of repopulating and flourishing once again as a whole nation together. The 10%, the people of 10%, they were just the very beginning of a whole effort to renew God's kingdom together as God's people. That reminds me of the church again. When I think about it, there's, there's the, the church, which, you know, I think in some measure kind of means the, the leadership. There's pastors who are called. I'm one of the three here. There's a council that is elected, you know, annually, and they serve in terms. You know, you might say, and, that, and, and other, you know, paid leaders and even lay leaders of the church, people who invest a significant amount of time into this, that might be representative of the 10%, okay? Because we're here all the time. I'm here, you know, during the week. Uh, you know, we're getting the calls at night. We're doing the planning to Sundays execute well, children's ministry, youth ministry, all that, okay? In the middle there is what the congregation is, and that's like the members. And the members support, yes, financially, but also by serving, because we can't do it all, right? And so congregation, I don't put in sequence like second as in lesser than, because serving in leadership, it's a humble experience. It really is. But I put them in the middle because congregation is really core, like, we could be here as pastors, we could be here as a staff, but if you're not here, then, then we're really not able to do anything. So the congregation supports the vision of the church, the mission of the church with your support, your service, okay? All that so that we can fulfill our mission. All that so we can fulfill our mission. In other words, it's not just about us. This is just the beginning, and this church for 128 years has been on mission, reaching out to friends and neighbors, which, by the way, you're part of that. We want this to be a church home for our community, and so we're actively trying to connect with neighbors and friends and be a beacon of the gospel here in this community. So together, church, kind of leadership, pastors, council, lay leaders, and congregation, members supporting, serving, using their gifts, time, time, talent, all go to feeding and nurturing the mission of the church, which is the outreach. Now here's what's kind of cool for me. I've really been in all three spaces. I for sure was the mission at one point, when the friends who were sharing with me the gospel, that, which they had learned at their church, and they were praying for me as, me as a small group, that I would have a confrontation with the Holy Spirit, and one day come to faith, and it worked. I had that moment, that confrontation with the Holy Spirit, and I came to faith. Then I entered the congregation, and I started to attend, but then I also started to give of my time and my treasure and my spiritual gifts. 
and then eventually, yes, made the jump, went to seminary, continued my education, and by God's call, am now part of the leadership. So I've kind of covered all three of the spaces there. I've been the mission, been part of the congregation, and part of the church. Okay. Nehemiah. Remember him? I want to make use of the rest of the chapter of Nehemiah 11, because I only gave you the first four verses, but I want to do this real quickly, because Nehemiah saw something in the way that he visioned the people as they were coming into the city. He had these kind of segments in mind that he labeled them in the scriptures. He kind of put pockets of people that were coming in, and that, I was looking at that, like, why did he do that? Like, why did he label the people? What are the lists about? Remember those lists? Who loves lists? We all love lists. No, the lists are actually pretty good. Here's the condensed version of the list. These are the people groups that Nehemiah saw coming back into Jerusalem. First of all, he saw uh, members of the tribe of Judah, members of the tribe of Judah. These people were known to be worshipers and leaders. They were sharp, the best of the best, kind of that first fruits offering of people, right? Got the people of Judah, Judahites coming in. That's verses four to six. Then you got the Benjamites. They were a rowdy crowd, verses seven through nine. Benjamin, uh, that tribe was, all, was known to be a warrior tribe. They were tough. And so needed them along with the gatekeepers, which we'll see in a moment. Verses 10 to 14 were the priests. Ah, you need the priests for sure, right? They were responsible for conducting the sacraments and administering the word to keep people growing in the knowledge of God and experiencing his grace together. Then, verses 15 through 18, the Levites. Once again, more worshipers. Got to have a lot of those. Uh, in fact, in verse 22, it mentions one of the Levites was uh, a man named Uzi. Very cool name. Uh, he was a singer, mu a musician, probably a very cool guy. And he was responsible for the daily worship. They had worship every single day. Why do they have such an emphasis on worship? Why the Judaites and why the Levites? Why so much worship? Ah, because they knew what it says in Psalms that we enter his gates with thanksgiving and we enter his courts with praise. We needed the worshipers there. Gatekeepers, these were like the uh, doormen, the bouncers, another set of tough guys. Uh, they had names like Akub and Talman and their associates, tough guys, and they were supposed to be the doormen, the bouncers. Why would they have that? They wanted the, the gates to be open to they wanted to be a beacon, but at the same time, they also wanted to keep it pure from outside influence. And so there had to be somebody checking the door. All of this organization of people and labels comes because they were trying to respond to that great commandment. Remember that? I said that undergirds the whole thing. They hadn't been doing it. They were reminded they needed to do it. Now they're starting to do it. And Nehemiah saw this is a great way to get it done. Because God had commanded them, as always, and as he still does today, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And those people groups that Nehemiah called in exactly helped set them up for success in that. Why? Because to worship God with your heart, we need worship. We need those leaders. We need those warriors. We need those people of passion and of strength. And they were there to help them love the Lord your God with all their heart. What about their soul? The soul is the part of us that, that, wants to long, that longs to connect eternally to our God. So they needed the priests to conduct the sacraments and engage the word so they could continue to grow in the knowledge of God, which would bless their souls. What about loving God with all their strength, all their might? Well, that's why they needed the gatekeepers. 
and the Benjamites, those tough guys, welcoming all but keeping pure in their influences, staying rooted in word and truth. In other words, Nehemiah was setting them up well for a recommitment to God's commandment to love him with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. So with this model of scripture before us, we go back to the question that I asked you at the beginning. How do we invest ourselves into what God is doing, rebuilding in this season, here at this church? How do we reinvest ourselves in what God is doing here in this season? What would it look like for us to even begin to give a tithe, that first fruits offering of our time, our talents, our spiritual gifts, maybe even our treasure that he's calling us to invest? Who among us is here today willing to to be moved fresh to make a deeper investment in serving and, and leading and supporting the mission and ministries of the church so we can reach more friends and neighbors because there's more to reach in this season? What does it look like for us to make a fresh offering today of our hearts to God's purposes? One thing that's been working for me this season as I've been considering this as well is just offering God those first moments of the day. Like I'm kind of a slow waker. I, don't, I usually don't wake up on the spot. Maybe some of you do. It takes me a minute, maybe 15 or 20. But as I'm waking up, what I'm trying to do now is, God, instead of just quick running to see what messages I might have missed, just God, as I'm waking up this morning, I'm going to give you the first fruits of my thoughts. And I want to praise you for this day. I want to praise you for your grace. I want to praise you because you're God. Maybe one way to make a fresh offering of your hearts is just start that. The first thoughts of your day, Lord, will you just hear this prayer? What does it look like to make a fresh offering of our soul? Maybe to grow in our knowledge of of, uh, God's word in this season. We have one way for you. Starting this fall in, in September, we're going to be reading Colossians together. This is a really important effort. We want the entire church, young and old, to be reading the book of Colossians together. We have resources available We can read them in home groups, rooted groups. We're going to read them here at church. Our Bible studies are going to be converting to studying this precious book of the New Testament. And we're going to have gatherings online. Again, this is for old and young. We want to gather together and see what God does when we start reading his word together in step. That's one way for us to make a fresh commitment with our soul, reading Colossians together. You'll learn more about that in the coming weeks. What is it to make a fresh fruits offering with our strength? Maybe that is to use what the the gatekeepers might do, represent what they might represent, purge ourselves of maybe worldly media, worldly music, worldly influences, maybe sinful influences and practices that are corrupting our hearts and minds. How is God speaking to you to make a fresh investment in his kingdom today? Maybe it's just 10% of us who are here this morning. Maybe it's 10% of this congregation, but it's just the beginning. If God is calling us, to make a fresh investment in his kingdom by his spirit. We need to listen to that. We need to obey. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for that always invitation, that command you give us, God, that you want us to love you with all our heart, mind, and soul and strength because it's good and it's right and it leads us to so much greater joy than the world can offer. Lord, if anybody's hearing my voice today and your Holy Spirit's been knocking on their door to just make a fresh tithe, a fresh commitment, 
their hearts, minds, soul, or strength into your kingdom, would you give them courage to do that? Knowing God is just the very beginning. There's so much more we can do as a church to reach friends and neighbors in this community with the transforming news of Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Help us, God, in that work. Help us to be good stewards of all of your gifts. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.